0: It is another edition of Legends Territory, Scotty Braun, Eric Kratz, and thank you to the MLB Players Alumni Association for setting up all these great interviews with former players and for more information on your favorite former players, check out baseballalumni.com. Also, if you're listening to this, you can watch it on YouTube and then vice versa. If you're watching, you can listen to it wherever you get your pods. So we've got a 12-year big leaguer coming through, former Silver Slugger, award-winning second baseman entering the chat, and also Kratz. Uh, Just like us in the media, current Pittsburgh Pirates TV analyst. You can see him um, when you're watching some Pirates games. Neil Walker joining us right now. Neil, how you doing, man? How's life? Hey, Scott and Eric. Thank you so much for having me on. We're we're doing good.
1: Uh, The weather has turned here in western Pennsylvania. But um, nonetheless, uh, the the hot stove seems to be heating up at the winter meetings. And uh, my Steelers are cooling down a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, and you're fair. there full time, right? Yeah, yeah, we're we're here just north of the city of, of Pittsburgh, full time. Um, so I got a, I mean, I got a great gig. I got, uh, you know, I get to enjoy uh, the falls here and and kind of grind through the winter. But once the spring and summer comes, the, the, what what I'm doing with uh, the broadcasting stuff has been really fun and and something that I've uh, really enjoyed from day one. So I'm looking forward to to, to doing more as as time continues.
2: As a ex teammate you have a face for radio so i'm really glad that you're on tv so <laughs> i'm glad you decided to wear your flannel here with us that you're you're able to just show us your big tv like it's a humble brag this whole time for you and your ice cream counter in the background so we, we well, appreciate the you most handy. amazing thing
1: the most amazing thing Kratz, is that somehow you're you're running a podcast and you you actually talk less in the podcast than you did when you were behind the plate <laughs> when you guys were in the uh in the batter's box. There's nobody in the history of baseball that you wanted to or had to tell to shut up during an at-bat than Eric Kratz.
2: Yes. That's fair. That's fair. I can I can take all of that. I'll never forget when we played against each other, you came up and you are like, oh, my gosh. I don't know if you're having a bad day or not, but you were like, oh, just stop, please. So I stopped. I'm a good listener. I'm a good listener. Some people just talk. I got two ears. Huge nose, two ears. So – I appreciate you putting me in my place.
1: Well, and I was trying to remember the year that we played, the the years that we played together in Indianapolis and Pittsburgh. I think, would it have been 9 and 10 or 10 and 11? Is that correct?
2: 9 and 9 and 10. 9, we were were in Indy together. Indy, yep. 10, when you got called up in 9, and then 10, we were in Indy. And we'll get into it, but we we were in the big leagues together, but... We were actually first together. Do you remember where we were first together? This will show if you're a good teammate or not a good teammate. Hold on. Did we,
1: did we play together a winter ball, too, for a period no, of time?
2: No winter ball, no. but it was close to winner.
1: Oh, the oh it League. was
2: the, the Arizona Fall League. The Peoria Suarez. You and I were two catchers. I decided That's... I wasn't going to become a utility infielder, switch in a utility infielder. You clearly saw the way that I caught, and you were like, Well, I can't match that. So I'm going to have to change. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I remember those days. Yeah. It was you, I remember me, those days very well. And Guillermo Quiros. And that's I think that's you right. you were like 19, right. 20 years old. I was yep. probably 25 ish, 24, 25. We played together out in Peoria. And then we yeah, and then that, spring training in 2018 we played together in spring. You made the team and I got fired and sent to AAA with the Yankees. It was always a pleasure to play with you Kratzy. Yeah, like I said,
1: you know, I miss those days in the locker room. I miss those days on the field. Uh, I you're the type of guy that I would rather play with than against. Let's just leave it at that,
2: okay? <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I like that. I like
0: that. Yeah. You don't want to get in a fight with Kratz either. Let me tell you, we've no. gone over some of those the bear stories. hugs. Yeah, exactly. Broken pinkies, the whole deal, just from, like, shaking someone's hand. Um, so I'll get right to it. I mean, the glory days for the Pirates, you know, part of the 14 and 15 postseason teams. Do they win more games if Kratz was on those teams and the Pirates didn't let him go several years before that? <laughs> there's, there's no
1: doubt. Uh, you know, I, I still
0: don't fully understand how war
1: and how uh, uh, defensive runs saved uh, works. But I know that if there was one thing that Eric Kratz could do, that was he has the gift of gab and uh, there wasn't many balls getting to the backstop and he was going to frame pretty well. So uh, let's just say his his career war was probably up there with the Molinas, uh, you know, and in, in, in Pudge Rodriguez. I, I'd be shocked if it wasn't.
2: Okay, all right. This is Neil Walker's ter- legends territory here, so this isn't this isn't about some has been and never will be. Kratz, that actually, was just
0: me getting into the fourteen fifteen teams. Don't worry, I want to actually,
2: I want to actually <laughs> go before the fourteen fifteen, Scott. I want to go okay. to your call up, Neil, when you mm-hmm. absolutely were crushing it in AAA. You get called up in two thousand nine for proverbial cup of coffee, yep. and this is how I remember it. You tell me if this is wrong, but 2010, you come back to Indianapolis and I saw a shift in you. Obviously it was five years before (laughs) we had played together in, in the fall league. I saw a shift in you as like a kind of more like a leader in 2010. Like we had some, there was some, you know, there were some organizational changes where they were like trying to do this whole like militaristic and like. Hey, you got to do this and you got to do that. And at this point, you were like, you were like the guy who had you you had you had established yourself as somebody who had success, a routine, and you knew what you needed to do. And they were just annihilating us in AAA, and you stood up for the guys and got called up for Akinori Iwamura. Now, I think yep. Pierce got hurt, but I think Iwamura, you you're replacing him. And I remember Neil Huntington saying, because I was in triple A, you know, we're watching out for our guys. We're watching out for Pedro Alvarez. We're watching out for Garrett Jones, all the boys, Kutch, all the dudes that were in triple A and Neil Huntington said, yeah, he's just kind of here for a fill in. And you went into, and I think he even had a little bit more choice words. And you went on to fifth place, I think in the rookie of the year that year.
1: Yeah, I think it was around there
2: in, in, you know, to kind of go back
1: to the, going into that 2010 season, like you mentioned, in 2009, I got a quick cup of coffee in, in, in the big leagues in September, maybe 20 at bats, something like that. Um, but I remember going into that offseason and they said, you know, we want you to play multiple positions. And, uh, you know, Pedro Alvarez is coming behind you at, at third base. So we don't foresee you playing much there, but we still want you to be able to play there. And so going into two thousand the 2010 season in spring training, I was on a mission. I was like all right, I'm gonna, if I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down in flames. If I'm going to get traded, I'm going to get moved. I'm not going to make the team. I'm going to learn all these positions as quickly as possible, from right field to left field, first base, third base, second base. Uh, I even, to start that year, I remember being in 2010 to start the year, I remember being in Columbus, Ohio, playing against Columbus, and one of the catchers got hurt on the first day of the season, and it was snowing. It was basically snowing, and – uh, they, they couldn't get a catcher in in time to back up the, the guy that was going to catch that night. And they said, Neil, it, it was the second day of the season. They said, you can't, you can't play this game. We need you to catch bullpens during the game to warm guys up because we have no bullpen catcher and we have no backup catcher. So that's how my 2010 season started. And, I, I mean, that, and that may have been you that got banged up, Eric. I, I can't fully remember. But um, I remember just being kind of pissed off. I was just pissed off. I, and like you said, I, I knew that what I knew. my strengths at that point. I knew what I wanted to do. I knew that I had to play multiple positions, and hopefully I got caught a break like I ended up catching with Aki Iwamura going out or not playing well and, and, and getting an opportunity and going up. And so I wouldn't have had it any other way. Sure, what I've liked to have been in the big leagues since to start my career, I, I thought I was going to be a, a big league catcher for my entire life career. That didn't happen. And so – I found I found in the game of baseball, you have to just continue to adapt. You have to continue to, to to look at the positive side of things. I could have easily said, "Well, you don't want me as a catcher, you know? Screw you! I, 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 let me send me somewhere else." And I saw it as a challenge. I saw it as something that was a uh, something that could help my career. It was still before the time of playing multiple positions was the big thing. You, you saw very little platooning on the offensive side of things in those call it 2010 to 2015 years before the quote unquote uh, uh, ben Zobris type of uh, player started to, to come around so I mean I, I but I do remember those days in AAA Eric where we were you know guys would come into town and they'd have us out there at 1245 taking early ground balls uh, doing catching drills for you guys outfielders doing work then going into hitting and I remember thinking to myself we're in Triple I'm exhausted by the time the game is starting like this whole military mindset type thing, it might work on the, on the 19, 20, 21 year olds down in A ball and AA, but like, you know, maybe leave us alone a little bit up here at the AAA level.
2: Yeah. And I remember you stepping up and saying something about it. And they kind of took offense like, oh, you're soft. And you were like, what? And you slapped them in the face with the rookie of the year that year. And yes, it was me. I hit a double in the first, in the first game of the year. It was snowing in Columbus. And I tweaked my hamstring. I ended up just missing the next day. But Luke Carlin was the other catcher that was there yes. that year. Yes, so, that's right. So we were, yeah, you're, You, that was a good memory. But I remember you setting, to me, I remember you kind of setting a tone. Everyone's going to remember Andrew McCutcheon. But, like, you were that guy that was, and you're a hero in Pittsburgh, no doubt. But I felt like that season, you set a tone for the rest of the prospects that were coming up. That like you stepped up and you were standing up for the guys for to me what I thought was right. do you feel like you kept a chip on your shoulder towards necessarily like ownership towards towards Neil Huntington toward not not like in a vindictive way but like yeah dude I know what I'm doing. I, I've been around this game for a while. I'm gonna stand up for what I believe in whether it's contracts, my teammates, you know, whatever it is. Do you feel like you had a chip on your shoulder in that sense?
1: Yeah, to a degree. And I think it was more along the lines that, the you know, somewhat of the circumstances. You know, I'd, I'd bounce from from catcher to third base to several different positions. And for me, that year that, that we played together in 2010 to start the season was, was kind of like a, a breaking point for me to, to the point where I, I had always performed offensively. I wasn't necessarily a bad defensive player at the places that, they, that I was being put. But um, I really wasn't be, being foreseen as an everyday at one position guy until I got that opportunity at second base, which was the last place that I thought that I was going to end up. <laughs> so I think that that I didn't necessarily I did have a chip on my shoulder, but it wasn't necessarily directed toward anybody in general. It was directed more as a challenge to myself, and I also uh, being from Pittsburgh and understanding really all the way back to the to the early '90s the. Uh, the, the history of the, the game as well, of the, the, the Pittsburgh Pirates too. And I knew that, that we had some good pieces and I knew that I had an opportunity to be a part of a team that was kind of going to take things to the next level. So uh, that's, that was kind of my motivation, but also kind of my rallying cry to, to, to guys around like, hey, A is not just a stepping stone. It's not just, uh, you know, big league guys coming down and waiting to get called back up. And it's not uh, prospects that are there. Like you can still use this as, as, a, as a jumping point to not only get better but to challenge yourself from a physical standpoint, mental standpoint, but also have you ready. I mean, in today's game, I see a lot of guys come up and they have a little bit of a deer in the headlights look because, uh, you know, whether it's not being fully prepared uh, for the adjustments that you have to make in the big league level or uh, just simply being caught up by, by the bright lights and never having uh, not had success had success getting up to the, to the big league. So. Um, I, I, I felt very prepared when I got called up to the big leagues, and I feel very fortunate of, uh, with that. But certainly looking back, you're, you're like, why, why am I still here? I'm, I'm, I'm in AAA. I'm leading the league in, in so many offensive categories. Like, this doesn't make sense. Uh, so, you know, but I had a good time. I, I learned a lot from, from people like yourself especially. Uh, but we had a really good group then too. And, of course, going into 12 and 13 in Pittsburgh, uh, things finally took off, and I was just so fortunate to be a part of that
0: you're not just a hero in pittsburgh you're a hero with many big leaguers then for stepping up also about the military style that was going on at times so has that chilled out and if so do you know what kind of caused that because we've even had someone like say more current tyler glass now on this show and he said hey difference between pittsburgh and the race for me during my time period and it was a previous regime now he's like was huge because he was he mentioned the same thing he's like the military thing not my style i'm not like that (laughs) california surfer dude it's like i need people to let me do my thing and it went much better after he left
1: yeah and and you know being there you you kind of understood the the undertones of what was trying to be accomplished but at the same time as you mentioned there were guys that just you, you you can't push everybody's buttons the exact same way you have to push guys and 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 Motivate guys in different ways. So, for for some that that mindset worked. It didn't work for me. I I wanted to be. Um, I I didn't want to be necessarily coddled. I didn't I didn't mind getting yelled at. I didn't mind getting pushed. But I I also thought there was a time and place for that. So, uh, you don't see as much of it. I I, I certainly being involved in a Pirates organization. That's that's no longer prevalent whatsoever. Um, and and like I said, I do think from a mental skills perspective, you 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 see some organizations that are a little bit more uh, challenge motivated and, and and trying to get the most out of players f- from different perspectives and, and really pushing them. But I think that that has kind of gone to the wayside uh, a, a little bit, at least from what I'm hearing uh, across the board. And, uh, you know, what, the, for, for me, you know, what do you need to blow the horn at, at 4.30 in the morning in October during during uh, fall instructional league? to get guys out to run sprints uh, you know I, i'm sorry but that's you know this <laughs> this, is, this is baseball let's <laughs> let's spend some time learning how to create create a uh, an approach as a hitter and to create uh, you know good chemistry w- w- amongst the organization and, and to try to find the be- get the most out of yourself it just doesn't work i mean guys were guys were going to the beach and putting telephone poles over their head and and, and doing and doing you know navy seals catwalk type stuff uh, I fortunately was, was a little bit older when some of this stuff was happening, but you know it's 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 pretty it's pretty amazing to, to think that those things were, were going on.
2: Yes, they were going on, and creating an approach at the plate would probably be a little bit better. A- anyway, you 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 hit it perfectly. <laughs> Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at Chabacasino.com Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family.
0: VDW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by
2: law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Before we get to the 13-14, take me to 2012 in Pittsburgh for a extra inning game. This pirate team, so much much for you had to have led up to that moment. You grew up in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Your dad. Sorry to hear about his passing. Was a guy that you know, you watched him play. Your uncle, you watched him play. Now you are on the verge of taking your team to the playoffs, and I don't remember the exact date, but Andrew, Daniel McCutcheon, the white yeah. cutch and the black cutch, the only two that I yeah. ever met in my life is on the mound, and McHenry's behind the plate and a phantom tag or as as they thought was a phantom tag kind of derailed your season. Did you feel like as a yeah. pirate fan growing up and as a current pirate you felt like at the end of that season, holy crap, we may never make the playoffs if this is what derails us.
1: Yeah, and and we got up we got out of the blocks really hot in 2012. And and I, you know, can't tell you how how hot in April, May, and June, but we were we were on fire, but we also uh, we got pretty taxed, especially in the bullpen and the pitching department. So, we felt like it was going to be it was going to be kind of difficult to keep that recipe of winning these close games, winning these one and two run games, and um, continuing to uh, progress as a group. And there was a lot of guys that that were to, have been together in the minor leagues and not, haven't necessarily known how to get through those dog days. And it was August. It was late. It was mid late August, I believe, uh, in Atlanta when that particular night happened. But I remember that was that was a gut punch that that we just really never recover from. But I do think going into the end of that year, having a taste of of that success early in the season against teams like the Cardinals, the Cubs, uh, the teams in our division that that had historically over the last 15 years given us a lot of trouble, we had success against those teams, and we saw that number one as as, as a challenge going into 2013. But we also saw it as, as a stepping stone and a learning curve to say, you know what, we, we didn't finish the season the way we wanted to, but we did some good things. We have some really good pieces here. And going into the 13th season, Neil Huntington and his group put together a really good group of players. And I remember the first couple of days of spring training, going to meetings and looking around and being like, whoa, okay, Kutch is here, Pedro's here, uh, Garrett Jones, uh, Starling Marte, uh, Polanco, Russell Martin, A.J. Burnett. We're looking around and go, whoa! We got a really good opportunity here, and uh, again, we got out of the gates pretty pretty well, and we were able to get to the All Star break, and we were on the positive side of things in the win loss column, and we felt like we had an opportunity to to add in a couple couple part couple pieces, and we did that, and gave ourselves a great opportunity going into that postseason of 20, 2013. But that was getting over that hump again in that that August that that late July to early September. That was a huge p- part to us. But having gone through the, t- the 12 of, of not getting that done, I think that prepared us going into that 2013 end of that season and into the playoffs.
2: What was that champagne like? As a Pittsburgh oh. kid who's an absolute yinzer, what, is that sh- what was that champagne like the first time?
1: Man, I tell you, I, I remember I remember uh, in 2013, Garrett Cole and you Darvish pitched in, in Texas and that was the, the game that we clinched our first winning season, not not the playoffs, the first winning season in 20 years. And I was lucky enough to make the last out the a ground ball to me through, through the, uh, Gabby Sanchez, I believe, with first base. And I said, I, give, I said, give me the ball. Give me the ball. And he's like, what, what do you want this ball for? You know, somebody was on the mound. I don't think Garrett threw, threw a complete game, but somebody closed it down probably Grilly. And they usually give you know, you usually give the ball to a guy if he gets a save. And I was like, give, give me the ball. I want the ball. And finally, they, they expl- I explained to him, I was like, you have no idea the significance of this baseball. Like, this has been 20 years of, of losing baseball for the city of Pittsburgh in this organization. Like, this is a, this is a symbol of, of, of hope, of, uh, of, of where we were to, to where things are going. And, and I know it sounds a little cliche and it's a, it's a little bit nerdy, but I felt like that was such a significant uh, moment in the organization, that, that, that 2013 game in mid-September. And then, of course, clinching the playoffs, I mean, the the, the champagne, it it tasted so much sweeter, just understanding uh, so much, being the biggest Pirate fan as a kid and watching Andy Van Slyke and Bobby Bonilla and Barry Bonds, like, those were my guys. Jeff Kent, all these guys, those were my guys. I would go sit in peanut heaven at Three Rivers Rivers Ballpark and watch these guys. And Andy Van Slyke was my favorite just to watch run around. And when I had the opportunity to wear number 18 as a a Pirate, I jumped on it. So – just just super, super sweet and super uh, fortunate to be where I was at that time and, be, and being able to make an impact individually, but but more so uh, from a team perspective.
2: Do you see yourself as a pirate legend in that, in that moment? In 2013, do you see yourself as a pirate legend? Two-time Pittsburgh male athlete of the year in high school. Like you were going to go play – Football and baseball, you get drafted in the first round. Did you see yourself at that moment in 13 as a pirates legend?
1: I don't think so. I I, I really don't. I I don't know. I was I was brought up somewhat in in, in humble beginnings from the standpoint of of you know the, the Pittsburgh around mantra was very much football centric as as kids. So I kind of was brought up in that mindset of like next play and you're only as good as your last play type of thing, and you're only as good as your next play, whatever that saying goes. And I think that I just felt very fortunate to, to, to be a part of that. And so I don't necessarily think that I saw myself as a legend. I think that I kind of saw myself as uh, somebody that was very fortunate to be where I was at that time and to be surrounded by really good players and coaches and, and an organization that was committed to, to, uh, to winning at that time and to go through the mud and to come back come out on the other side was, was really something special. So uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I was the youngest of four, I'm the youngest of four. So Anytime that I felt some sort of bra- braggadocious way or got out of line, I was knocked down uh, pretty quickly a couple of pegs. So I don't think I ever ha- saw myself in any other capacity. But like, you know, I want to help. I want to win. And, and, and I want to have fun.
2: That's why I felt like I needed to give you a hug because you were the youngest and you would and I would go to give you a hug and you would push me away and be like, I don't need that. I, I don't need that from you.
1: Any hug from you, Eric, is a good hug, except when you get a little th- little overzealous and then it turns into a back crack and a uh, possible trip
2: to the chiropractor. That's fair. That's fair. I was actually just looking up Andy Van Slyke's numbers compared to your numbers. You are very, very close. Does that make you feel wow. – does that, does that make a 10-year-old Neil Walker more proud of you or a 37-year-old Neil Walker or 38-year-old now Neil Walker? Yeah, uh, probably both.
1: I, I actually, didn't. I, I actually, I, I'm going to have to go look up, look up kind of the numbers now. And I never thought about that, but uh, I don't know what it is. You know, I have, I just have this vision of being at Three River Stadium and I got to go to the 92 or 93 All-Star game in Pittsburgh and got to have a Frank Thomas autograph that I still have. Uh, but Andy Van Slyke was just always my dude. I always gravitated towards him and I didn't even want to be an outfielder. I didn't even like outfield. I, I, I was, a, you know, a, a, an infielder at the time as a middle schooler. And uh, and youngster, but um, I just remember him just burning up the turf in, in center field at Three River Stadium and, and listening, hearing Landy for Terry, uh, you know, at nighttime in my, uh, at, at my house or my grandma's house at, in the evening times with my siblings, just, just pure nostalgia from those early nineties baseball te- uh, Pirates teams. But it also drove me because I did, I wanted to be like Andy. So I probably never got to, to, to his his level, especially the things that he accomplished, but I felt like I got uh, almost the most out of my talents, um,
2: and,
1: and was very fortunate to
2: have a nice career. You are more Pittsburgh than Heinz ketchup. You know that. Like you are like if you could if you could give me like a like an ot or like a, like a yinzer of some kind, like then it would just solidify it. But I want to take you to now we're into playoffs. All right. What is your remembrance of the Quato moment? Because we've had Russ Mart, Russ has done a, has done a legends territory. We've talked to AJ Burnett, AJ Burnett about different stuff. So what, take us to that moment, the Quato, the Quato moment, which unfortunately for the Pirates, fans want more of those types of moments. And it's really a fan moment. And to me, it shows why Bob Nutting as an owner needs to pay more and needs to be wanting to win more because these fans are ravenous. My brother-in-law was yeah. at that game. I want to hear your your viewpoint of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, going into the playoffs in 13, it was – it was. we didn't even know what to expect, especially that wild card game against Cincinnati. And, um, you know, I think Andrew McCutcheon called for a, a, a blackout with all the all, – everybody wear black and see if we can make it, you know, as as – um, aggressive and, and as daunting as as it could possibly be. And, um, man, I, I still remember being in, in the clubhouse, you know, and, and for you, Eric, you catchers, you guys are out there 45 minutes before the game, but like, that gap between 45 and 30 minutes, there's still guys and it's very quiet in the clubhouse and you're getting ready and you're, you're starting to mosey out. And I remember kind of hearing like rumblings and, and hearing like, it sounded like almost thunder, and I'd never heard it before, and I realized, I came to realize that 35 minutes before the game there wasn't there basically wasn't a seat not occupied at that time and it it was the crowd it was the above the concrete uh, layers and layers of concrete in the clubhouse you could hear the crowd in pittsburgh and you got out and and i i know at least for me the, the goosebumps that i that i felt at that moment i know a lot of other people felt it because i've asked them and um just to to have that experience and to to know that it how long it had been since since that moment had happened, a playoff baseball game in Pittsburgh, uh, I, I took a lot of pride in that, and I and I was very very fortunate and very excited to be a part of that. And of course, we win that game and we go on to a five game series with St. Louis. That we go to Game Five at their place, and they had a big home run. I think Carlos Beltran had a three run home run in the sixth or seventh inning that that kind of did us away. But uh, man, it was it was just incredible. And, and yeah, you you. You wish that you could bottle those moments up, and of course, the next two years we we play in the playoffs and play playoff baseball. And um, but that first go round in 2013 after uh, 20 years was was something that you. I don't know if you can recreate, but you know the great in the grand scheme of things, things are moving in the right direction here in Pittsburgh, and and I hope that that one day I'll be uh, a different part of a playoff push from a booth perspective. And um, and we'll see because there are some super talented guys that are here now and, and you hope that they're able to bring some pieces in and, and certainly, as you mentioned, spend some money on, on on quality guys to get them over the hump and push them uh, ultimately in the right direction.
2: How about the Cueto moment specifically? Were you in the cage yeah. hitting at that time? Because the cage in Pittsburgh is like up the steps, an elevator away. You got to get an Uber before there was Uber. Were you out on the field when that was happening? I'd be out in the dugout I- when that was happening?
1: No, so that, they were there were a couple of us that weren't all the way up in the the, the, uh, the cage, but there's a little there's a little room if you can remember that that had a computer at that time. you could look up your your last at bat and I think I was doing that because I hit the inning before and just seeing where certain pitches were or what the umpire was giving a little bit more than we thought. And so I heard a rustling. I heard like, oh you know and and I come walking back out and I ask I don't remember who I asked it said, so, you know, what the heck happened? And he said, Ah, oh, Cueto dropped the ball, and I didn't really think anything of it. And the next pick, ru- pitch Russell Martin, bam, home run, and uh, you're like, Holy cow! Is that was that meant to be? Like this is this is wild, and the crowd is going nuts. And uh, but I didn't see it; I barely heard it, and so I my recollection is only from the 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 images and videos and pictures that that I see online. You know, every year on the same day.
2: All right, so you guys have those years. Now, all of a sudden, there's talk of getting rid of Neil Walker, the Golden Child. All the things I just said, getting rid of Neil Walker because he's going to make close to ten million dollars, and they don't want to go over that ten million dollar threshold. What's what what is what is that feeling like when you you know we just talked about like the ultimate feelings? What is that feeling like? Seeing that, getting asked those questions constantly, like, "Oh, this could happen, that could happen." What was that like for you? That was really hard. Uh, I'm not going to lie. That
1: was that was really difficult because I only envisioned myself as a major league major league baseball player one, and I was lucky to get to get there uh, with, with with hard work and and, and some luck and uh, some fortuitous events, uh, and then. I never envisioned myself in any other uniform but a Pirates uniform. So, you know, as time went along, and of course, as anybody that's familiar with with how the arbitration system works and and this and that, you get the year one, and I I had four years of arbitration because I was a Super Two, so I get the year two, and, and I'm making an X, and then I get the year three, and I'm supposed to make X, and I go to an arbitration hearing with the Pirates and lose, and that was uh, that was a that was an awakening moment from a from a business baseball mind perspective because i started to see the game a little bit differently and and not that i ever had any other thoughts of still wanting to be a pirate and 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 still wanted to get better as a baseball player but you you sit in an arbitration case and you hear some of the stuff that that that, uh, is being said about you that's that's very difficult and and then you you throw you lost it on top of it and then you you got to get back in in line in spring training and uh they're patting you on the butt and saying hey you're our you're our leader you're our guy let's go and you're you're kind of like well, this is this is kind of strange. This is kind of odd. So when the rumbling started happening that I was potentially going to get traded, I was like, "Man, this is uh, we get, we got to make something happen. We got to try to make something happen." And you know, in a lot of in a lot of instances, in a, a smaller market team or a, a mid low market team, um, if you're not willing to to kind of budge to a certain degree, it's going to be tough to get something completely done. And uh, from a five thousand foot view, that's basically what happened. We, you know, I I had. I had my thoughts on what I thought was fair and, and, and was uh, willing to kind of uh, meet somewhere near uh, what I felt was fair. And that just ended up not being the case. And, and, of course, after the 2015 season, I get traded to New York.
2: Can you tell us how close they were? Because I know there's people – there is a Neil Walker 2013 in middle school going, <laughs> wait a minute. Now he's, yeah. you know, Now he's an adult saying, wait a minute, we could have had Neil Walker. We could have extended this period longer. So, how close were you guys? Well,
1: the the biggest issue was at that time, as as I mentioned, a four year arbitration guy and, and having success in those first two years and being able to stay healthy and all that. Uh, the looming situation was the the quali- qualifying offer. So, the, the base essentially the qualifying offer wasn't wasn't being viewed as on the table for the pirates, where it was being viewed on the table for myself and my my agent my agency so that was that was kind of the sticking point was like well hey we're in year three here uh you know we see where these numbers are going and if I get to year four and I'm still playing on a year-to-year contract there's a pretty good chance that I'm going to get the qualifying offer which I ended up getting after the 2015 season with the Mets so um that was the biggest issue was that it wasn't the qualifying offer wasn't being taken into consideration by the the, the pirate side, and uh, I felt like I was really short short myself of getting that far and uh, and having to go through four years of arbitration and still being on the other on the wrong side of thirty once that that fourth year ended, but still having the qualifying offer on the table. And when I look back, I'm I'm so happy that I did it because any deal that I potentially had wouldn't have come close to, to, to what I ended up making in my career.
2: Yeah, no doubt. So you earned, so you're basically, you're saying you earned everything that, that you, you, that you earned, that you got because we we played it right. Yeah. It was, it was was maybe, it was maybe a grind in the moment. You would have rather had a, you know, had, had, had a long-term contract. I get it. What was the most hurtful thing that they said in arbitration to you? Because we had burns, we had burns on our show foul territory. We had burns on there and he, was basically told across the table that he had like a three three stretch a stretch of three starts where he lost them the opportunity to make the playoffs in 2022 I think it was yeah 22 and that that was their argument so what was the most hurtful thing that you heard from the other side of the table from the pirates uh
1: yeah probably that I was a terrible base runner that was probably the one thing that they said and I was I was by no means a, a a a fleet-footed guy, but I was somewhat opportunistic, especially early in my career before I had back back problems. So I, it wasn't necessarily stealing bases, but it was getting getting good secondaries, getting good reads, first to third, second to home, first to home type stuff. I was pretty successful in that, and they were able to find some some statistics and some metrics that basically said that I was a terrible base runner. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, this is this is garbage. I know that I'm a good base runner. <laughs> And so I, I don't know what you're. I don't know what you're saying. This is, and they go, well, you know, X, Y, and Z. This is what the league average looks like, and the, the above average or below average, you're way down here. And I'm like, all right, well, I guess, I guess, if you tell me I'm a bad base runner, then I'm a ba- bad base runner. Yeah. So that was hurtful.
2: That that yeah, I like that. I I appreciate that. <laughs> all right, so there was no way they were going to give you a qualifying offer because the qualifying offer was more than 10 million a year. And they never wanted to pay anybody more than 10 million a year until recently, until recently they gave key Brian Hayes, his, you know, first year of his contract was 10 million. It was like, Oh wow. Mind blowing. Now it's below 10 million. Did you watch the whole Brian Reynolds saga play out and Feel for Brian? Did you feel like he was maybe you? Fast forward ten years.
1: Um, to, to some degree, you know, I, we 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 visually we we've, we've seen um, owner Bob Nutting around a lot more the last couple of years. He's made an effort to be very involved in spring training. He's made a, an effort to be around the guys and around the coaching staff a, a lot more at home, which is which is awesome. That's what you want to see. So when the rumbling started, when Key Bryan gets signed, you're like, "Oh, this is great! We, we, we got you got your third baseman of, of the future," and uh, you know, and, and you're getting Gold Glove defense here across the board. And uh, when you hear the rumblings of Brian Reynolds, and, and you're you're cross your fingers because you know how good of a player this guy is. You're you're thinking to yourself, "Well, this is this is they're gonna have to stretch to get Brian Reynolds. Uh, he's somewhat, as you mentioned, somewhat in that same situation that year two three, and I'm not sure if he's a super two guy or not, but you're thinking to yourself, this is going to be a grind for him to get something done. And it seemed like it was going in that direction and something that, that seemed like he was going to have to really cave in a little bit to make something happen. And at the end of the day, you look at it and you you say, well, it seems like he's, he, he got what he wanted and, and uh, the security of it and the age and all that stuff seemed to somewhat make sense and match up. So, uh, but uh, to a degree, when, when he when he was going through it, and I didn't have many conversations outside of just giving him support. Hey, man, good luck. I hope I hope you get what you want. Type of type of stuff. You you certainly felt like he was getting put put through the grinder because I I had I had certainly been there before. But as I mentioned, I think things are changing uh, in in Pittsburgh. Maybe not. Maybe, I don't think you're necessarily going to see the, the the overspending type type thing. They're going to be very very monotonous about the guys they bring in. They just we just saw Marco Gonzalez get get traded for, I think that's a guy that, that uh, is going to have a good opportunity like Rich Hill, like Vince Velasquez, like some of these guys, they, they like to bring in on one-year deals and, and, and go out and play and, and see uh, uh, what you got. You're going to have freedom. There's not going to be anybody out behind you. Go be our fourth, fifth starter. That's great. So, But but there's certainly they need a lot of pitching this offseason. They need a couple position players. But there's some exciting players on the horizon, and there's some exciting players, obviously O'Neal Cruz being at the top of that list. That that are going to hopefully push this organization to the next uh, to the next level.
2: So opportunistic signings because of the fact that you have part of the Walker lineage in the dugout. Tell me about the <laughs> Walker Lang Kelly family tree of baseball. Talking about your uncle. What's what's your uncle's first name? His I forget what his name is. Chip Lang. Chip Lang. Your your late father Tom. Played in the big leagues yep. and your brother-in-law, Don Kelly. What does this like family tree look like? And if you had like an Olympic competition, who in that entire family tree? Now the women are involved, your sisters involved, your mom was an athlete, your grandmother was an athlete. Am I right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah, we've we've had some certainly some some really good athletes in our in our family. Both of my brothers played. One played in the minor leagues for the Tigers until about 2005, and my other brother pitched at George Mason. Uh, and my brother-in-law, as you mentioned, married to my sister, Don Kelly. He's the bench coach for the Pirates, and uh, a guy that's you, his, his managerial uh, uh, opportunities have swirled around him for years. Uh, he had a great baseball co- playing career as essentially a, a utility guy, a- and he's in a great situation. He's here in Pittsburgh where, where, where he and my sister and their children live close to us. And he's able to sleep in his own bed when they're when they're, they're playing at home. Get to see the kids as much as you possibly can as a as a professional player and coach. Um, and he does a great job. He's he's terrific for that job. He's he's, he's very very good at it. So, uh, but if I had to pick, I'd probably say my sister is, it would be would would win all. I know. Uh, I remember trying to play basketball against her when she was playing at Wagner University in, in Staten Island, uh, which I believe she still holds the records for points. And she got on like a weightlifting routine after she got there. And she got bigger and stronger. And she was a forward. She's about 5'11", six foot tall. And she beat – I tried to play – you know, go down low and try to beat her up a little bit and play one-on-one. And she just beat the crap out of me. And I was like, yep, you're way meaner than I am. You're way stronger than I am. Uh, we're not even going to debate this. You're, you're, you can take the, you can take the cake as, as, as the best athlete in the family. I'll, I'll stay in the background. The rest of us will stay out of your way.
2: This is an all-state – basketball, football, baseball player who is admitting his sister absolutely worked him underneath the hoop. I, I got some humility, Crats. What do you want me to say? I, uh... <laughs> All right, I want to take you to A.J. Burnett. A.J. Burnett was on one of our previous Legends. And do you know the story about him parking in in Bob Nutting's in Bob Nutting's space. And after that, I want to hear your best A.J. Burnett story. Oh, buddy. So A.J., uh, I mean,
1: the so the players and coaching staff and, and front office types park underneath the right field wall at PNC Park, and there's not many spots down there. Uh, and especially, I've, I've learned now, especially as a broadcaster showing up a little bit later, there is very, very few uh, spots, and it's tight down there. So they have it, they have it almost gapped up to, to where it's every player, every coach, a couple front office people. And then, of course, there's about five spots for uh, Bob Nutting and, and his guests and, and the owners and whatnot. And, and A.J., we called, we called A.J. J.A. On, on his pitching day because, you know, he would be as, as, he'd be as happy-go-lucky uh, on day one, two, three, four. And then day five, when his start came – came around you were like don't look at him don't look him in the eyes it was like you know an angry wife just just keep your distance stay away uh hopefully he doesn't come anywhere near you and um and he came in one day and he was hot he was he, you know a guy told him hey you can't really park there and he's like I'm pitching tonight I'm basically going to do whatever I want and he came in and he kind of mentioned it to somebody in the clubhouse like oh, there's something going on there's, there's, there's no parking spots today what the heck's going on there was only one parking spot left and the guy didn't want to give it to me <laughs> and uh and I think you you know, he, they, they moved it or he tossed the keys to somebody and, and they told him that he had to move his car. And, and he basically told him uh, you can, you know, you can move my car if you want, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing it. I'm going to park wherever I want. And it so happened to be the owner's parking spot and uh, down the line, AJ for some reason didn't recognize him one day in the, in the, in the uh, dugout uh, when he was getting ready to go for a start, there was some big event going on that, that day. And Bob was there. And uh, he just passed right by Bob, didn't even didn't even say hi, nothing. And Bob was, hey, AJ, how you doing today? And AJ just thought it was just some, I, I don't know, who. I don't know what he thought. And eventually he uh, realized everybody was just standing there in shock, like, oh, my gosh, you just you just stiff Bob Nutting there's there's that, that that cannot that's not going to go over well but and of course if you know AJ especially at the, at the end of his career he was he was focused on one thing and that was punching tickets that's it he was he was he was focused on striking guys out and, and winning that is that is all he wanted to do and so when it came back around I mean we had the best laugh about it of all time and he was still like find me a parking spot I'm the I'm the, I'm the starting pitcher like this is ridiculous how could you not how could you not give the starting pitcher a parking spot and he had a pretty valid point but Certainly, an aggressive move to uh, to go park in the the owner spot and basically tell the the guy parking parking cars down there to go to to, to go kick rocks. Uh, you know, deal with it later. And probably my favorite, probably my favorite AJ story. We were tra- we were traveling from uh, LA to Colorado, and it was time. As you know, Kratz, you know the rookie not so much rookie hazing, but the rookie dress-up type of stuff was was starting to go away, and you had to get more creative with it. And so AJ AJ had a great idea. He said, all right, we're all going to do it. Everybody's going to dress up as Marvel characters. He's really into Batman, obviously, uh, and all this stuff. And so the, the, the plane ride from L.A. to Denver, everybody's dressed up as Marvel characters. I got a gigantic Ninja Turtle head that's about this big, Ninja Turtle costume, there was four of us. One was Aramis Ramirez, if you can believe that. I think he was 36, 37 years old at the time. And everybody's dressed up. We get on the bus, when we land in Denver, and AJ says, all right, rookies, I got. Uh, come on up here. I gotta, you put these costumes on. Well, there were about seven or eight at the time. There were quite a few. And he puts one guy in a gorilla costume, and he puts seven or eight guys in penguin outfits. And he says, Bussy, I need you to stop two, three blocks from this hotel. And it was still light out. It wasn't sketchy, anything like that. And he says, all right, the Penguins or the Gorilla, you're going to get off first three blocks away. Penguins, you're going to get off two blocks away. If the Gorilla catches you, you're, you're out of the game. It, it, whoever – and if any Penguins get back to the hotel without getting caught by the Gorilla, you got, you're got you going to win something. And it was just, you know, we were hanging out. We are having dinner after. But he said, there's only one catch, the Penguins – you have to waddle. You got to waddle the entire way back there, and the gorilla gets to gets to go as fast as he can. And I think of seven guys. I think probably five of them got caught. So that gorilla, who happened to be Elias Diaz, was the winner of that evening, and uh, we had a lot of fun doing it. What did he? Do you remember when he won? I think we put a, I think we put a pot of money together. I think we put like. Uh, you know, for every guy he caught, he got like a hundred dollars or something like that. So I think it ended up being a five hundred, six hundred dollars night for the kid. So uh,
2: that's a that's a big night for a rookie. That's a huge night. Yeah, that's cash. <laughs> and now you know, All Star M- MVP of the All Star game. Yeah. It's his 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 career has come a long way since being in a yes. in a gorilla costume running yep. running down the street chasing penguins, <laughs> R- <laughs> running down Larimer Avenue in in downtown Denver. Yeah. Larimer Avenue at the high, at the high, yeah, high altitude. So he was probably breathing heavy, but he got paid for it. I like that. Where do you see the pirates going from here? You talk about all these stories, the guys that they had, that you guys had that fit into pieces. You had Andrew McCutcheon, an MVP. You had Neil Walker, a silver slugger. You had Pedro Alvarez, a silver slugger, home run champion how does this team that you watch on a daily basis living right up the street from them return to that and then maintain it because we can't just constantly be having oh they win tear it down oh they win yeah. tear it down and you said and you said Bob you know it's changing some things more advantageous signings where do you see them going how long are we gonna is it gonna take for us to get another blackout in Pittsburgh
1: yeah, and, and and you know what I think the I think the barometer has been set these last couple of years with this wave of guys that has been essentially in in Double A AA and Triple A with, you know Henry Davis and 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 O'Neal Cruz uh, and obviously guys like Kebron Hayes and Brian Reynolds that are that are solidified major leaguers, um, so it will be it'll be really interesting. I'll be I'll be watching a close eye in in spring training to see what kind of camp battles that that might be going on between you know. Uh, uh, you know, guys like pagero are going to get opportunities probably to take, take advantage of being the everyday second baseman. And, and, you know, first base is a little bit questionable, but you guys got guys like Jared Triolo that finished the season really strong. Um, but I, I'm always kind of looking at things from the offensive lens. And, of course, the biggest question with especially um, guys getting getting hurt this offseason um, in the pitching department has been what, what? What does the starting rotation look like? So that, that's that's going to be a big piece for for Ben Charrington and his group. And as as I mentioned, Marco Gonzalez gets picked up. So that's one piece that you assume it's that going to be part of that Mitch Keller rotation. Um, Johan Oviedo that, that was just a real gut punch, at least from a a standpoint of longevity and and, and what he accomplished uh, taking starting every single game the entire season going into that twenty four season. You had a lot of optimism in that department. And that seems to, to, to not be the case anymore. But I have always kind of seen things from the lens offensively of like continuity. And what I mean by that is uh, I always felt like if you had, if you were platooning uh, on a team in more than two areas uh, and, and throw the catcher out the, out the window. So you're talking seven guys. If you were platooning in more than two areas, it was, it, it was, it was really, it was really difficult for guys to get in a groove. And, and I played with guys like, uh, you know, Corey Hart and, and Gabby Sanchez and Garrett Jones, who learned how to do that from a very young age, and learned. And Garrett knew that if a righty was on the mound, there's a good chance he was he was playing. Gabby Sanchez knew if a lefty was on the mound, he was probably playing. And I've, I, 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 my my thought, especially before this last season, was like, okay, there's about three of those seven spots that are somewhat being platooning. If you could get that down to two or one going into this 24 season you're going to have a good idea of what the lineup looks like on a daily basis, and you're not going to have guys moving around quite as much. I've always been a strong believer that, like, for instance, for me, when I got solidified in the major leagues, I wanted to know if, if the uh, you know the skipper wanted me to hit second or fifth because I felt like if I was hitting second and I was hitting front of Andrew McCutcheon, I was going to be more selective at the plate. I was going to work the count, uh, take more pitches, maybe not be as aggressive in, 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 in off, uh, hitters' counts to let the guys behind me see more pitches, but also uh, put more pressure on the pitcher to not walk me and to maybe give me a, a better pitch to hit later in the count. And uh, hitting behind Andrew, you were going to get less to hit because there was a good chance Andrew was going to be on base. He was on base probably 40% of the time, especially during his his MVP year. So uh, I, I see that there is, is less of that going on. You know, O'Neill Cruz is not coming out of the lineup. He's left-handed. Key Brian, Brian Reynolds, they're not coming out of the lineup. Uh, Pagero possibly as right-handed hitting second baseman, he may not come out of the lineup. You got Andy Rodriguez and Henry Davis, one switch hitter, one right-handed hitter. You have some some guys in the corner. Jack Sawinski, who probably is only going to hit against righties, you would assume. So you really only have two spots, most likely that left-field spot and potentially your first-base spot at this point, that look like platoon spots. So for me, that's a positive sign. And, of course, there's injuries. Of course, there's guys not maybe playing up to their potential. But I hope that that's a continued trend. Uh, because that continuity for me was so important, you know. Guys like uh, Jordy Mercer hitting eight hole every single day uh, for us uh, uh, during our during our thirteen through fifteen stretch, or 14, 15, and he never complained. It was the worst spot to hit in the NL, of, of course. As, as most people tell you, you might get one pitch a night to hit. You're going to walk a couple times, which is great, but uh, you got to embrace it, and you and you have to understand what your role is in those spots. And, and in today's game, you see a lot more of like. Okay, let me get on time. Let me see how high and how far I can hit balls no matter where I'm, I, I am in the lineup. And if I go one for five with a two-run home run and, a stri- and four strikeouts, I kind of see that as somewhat of a, a positive thing. And, of course, that's, that's getting a, li- a little bit a- a ahead of myself, but that's kind of the way I'm seeing the game in this perspective, and especially for the Pirates organization right now.
2: Who's the guy then? Who's the guy? Who is your Andrew McCutcheon for the current – Pittsburgh Pirates. I think O'Neill Cruz, the injury derailed what his hype, whether it's, you know, real or not, physical tools don't necessarily mean that you're going to be the best player. Who is your Andrew McCutcheon? Because there is no team that is worth their weight in gold in the playoffs that doesn't have their Andrew McCutcheon. Look at the teams now. You know, Phillies have Bryce Harper whether you think he's the superstar or not, you know, they have, the Diamondbacks have, have Corbin Carroll, the Rangers have right. Corey Seager. Who is the Pirates guy?
1: That's a, that, that's a really good question. And uh, I'm, I'm racking my brain. I'm, I, I I'm, I'm gravitating toward uh Kebron Hayes and, for the reason of, in my opinion, he's probably the best defensive player in all of baseball. And, and that's, you know, people are gonna argue this and that and this and that. And, but you get to watch him on a daily basis. He's making plays that you're just, you're, your jaw drops, but then you're like, well, I just saw him do that yesterday too, you, you know, <laughs> turning double plays from almost the outfield, barehanded balls, uh, slow rollers, things like that. But we saw a shift in, in him offensively at the end of this year. That was pretty impressive. He's always been a, a, a spray the ball around the yard type of guy. Stay inside the ball does a really good job of using the four hole, especially with two strikes and guys in score position. Always has that in his back pocket. Well, it seemed in 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 August that he was going to make a, a concerted effort to get the bat barrel out. When he started to do that, he started to lose some balls. He started to pull to the pool side, and you're thinking to yourself, "Whoa! If you're if you got a guy in Kebron Hayes that's playing." A, a, uh, above not above quality uh, defense but top of the line defense and you could potentially put this guy in the two three four hole in your lineup every single day and he's giving you the type of production that he was giving you at the end of the year, uh, this past year you have yourself a superstar you have yourself an Andrew McCutcheon the guy can get on base hits for power hits for average he can steal some bases he plays really the best defense in the league that's your guy uh, it'd be easy to say O'Neill Cruz. It'd be easy to say Brian Reynolds. Those guys are, are terrific players. I think O'Neill Cruz. Uh, I think he's got to get closer to that thousand at bat mark to have a really good gauge of what offensively he, we have with him. But the tools, as you mentioned, Eric, are off the charts. It's 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 incredible. You watch batting practice of O'Neill Cruz like you would John Carlos Stanton and and Aaron Judge. I mean, it's 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 out of this world. It's incredible. So, but as you mentioned, you have to get. For me, you got to get to that 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 400, 500 at bat plateau one year, up to 800, 900, 1200. Once you get close to that thousand, you have a very good idea of, of what you have. Minus situations like this year where you lose a little bit of progression with an in, in injury. So, if I have to answer that question, I, I, I'm I'm thinking in the back of my head about guys like Henry Davis and guys like O'Neill Cruz and Brian Reynolds. But for me, and Mitch Keller for that matter. But for me, it's brought it's it's Key Brian Hayes.
2: All right, last one for a true Yenzer. What's your favorite pierogi?
1: Oh man. Uh, jalapeno hana might be one of my favorites. Uh sauerkraut saw that might be another one. But if I got to choose, it'd probably be
2: uh potato peat. Potato peat. You look like a potato peat guy. <laughs> and are Pramanti sandwiches overrated?
1: Well, it depends. Do you like do you like fries and Absolute deliciousness on your sandwich, or do you not?
2: That's a question for you, Eric. That is – I mean, there's not even a question. Who doesn't like French fries? Like, you may yeah. not eat French fries, but who doesn't like French fries?
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you're either going to – let's be honest. If you go to Permanent Brothers and you don't want the fries on the sandwich, you're probably going to eat them on the side. So – Right. Why, <laughs> like, that's
2: – Why not just – make... That's what I'm saying. I mean, it's no cheesesteak, but it's cool. I yeah. mean, you guys – like every every Batman needs a Robin and Pittsburgh is Philly's is is Philly's Robin. So that's cool. That's right. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Here's my last one. What year are the Pirates making the playoffs again? You know, I
1: I think they I think they put make a strong push for a wild card spot this year. I really do. Um, but my, my big, my, my, the biggest hurdle that they, they have to over, uh, somewhat overcome, though, is not necessarily guys playing to their uh, expected level. It's a situation like this past year when you're, you're one of your best players in O'Neill Cruz. What happens if that guy goes down for two months, and in his case for five months? Do we, have, do we have at least some guys, whether it's in AAA or prospects, that are coming up that can soften that blow? Because in organizations, in these, in a lot of these small market organizations, not necessarily just Pittsburgh, that's that's always the the, the tough thing. Like on the surface, you look uh, on on paper and in spring training, you're like, wow, this is a really good team. When I looked at this Pirates team in spring training, especially offensively, I was like, this is a pretty good team. And you take O'Neill Cruz out of that mix, your your two three four gets completely blown up, and that's exactly what happened this past year. And they started off really well and just kind of teetered off as the as the season went along. So I can't predict. I I guess I can't predict if this is going to be the year year 2024. But if I had to give a a a hard uh, guess, I'd say 2025. But I really think they make a strong push for a wild card spot this year.
0: Okay, that's positive. That's good to know. I mean, fans are looking for it. It's been a minute. You know, they love you to death, but they would like to you know see who the next team looks like in playoff contention and get the Cueto chance going again. So, Neil, great to see you, dude. Great to catch up. Appreciate the time. Keep crushing it on TV, um, doing those games. We'll be watching this season. Thanks, man. Thank
1: you, guys. Thanks for having me on. Always fun. Great to catch up. Yeah,
0: appreciate you. And for everyone else watching here on Legends Territory, for more information about your favorite former players, hit up baseballalumni.com. Thank you so much for watching Legends Territory. We'll see you for the next one.
1: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?